Hello, and welcome to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. I'm your host, Beth Gosho. So today I'm happy to welcome Lauren to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Uh, Lauren has an amazing story to share, and she is actually the first person that I'm interviewing that I've met solely through the Daughters Without Moms uh, group. So this is exactly what I was hoping this community would do is to um, I, I posted today to someone, you know, we didn't ask to be a part of this club, but here we are. And I think, you know, sharing our journeys and our stories is so important. Um, and so Lauren is one of the people that I have found on Instagram and Facebook. Um, she can she can tell you her handle and things at the end, um, but I really appreciate her being here today and uh, look forward to hearing a little bit more. I'm gonna have Lauren introduce herself and then tell her story. And then I might ask some clarifying questions after she's done. So take it away. Thank you, Beth. Um, I am Lauren. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, um, but I am from Florida. I am a Florida girl born and raised. Um, so I just moved to Atlanta um, for my job specifically. I'm a flight attendant, so I'm based here in Atlanta. It's just easier for me to be here and not commuting like I have been for the last couple of years. So um, my story, it's, thank, thank you first, Beth, for letting me share my story because not too many people let you talk about your story. They don't ask you. They're afraid to ask because they don't want to upset you or make you cry. Um, but they don't realize that I cry every day. So it's not gonna be any different. Um, and at first I didn't wanna share my story or talk about my mom. I didn't have the strength to do it. I didn't, I didn't have my mind wrapped around the clarity of everything that had happened. So at the beginning, I almost um, sort of pretended like she was still alive. Um, you know, when people would ask me, you know, oh, you know, where do your parents live? You know, how's your mom or, you know, just anything like that. I, I didn't know how to just come out and say that, you know, she had passed away. So I, you know, I'd just say, oh, she's, she's in Tallahassee. You know, I, you know, I just say, I, I would speak that she was still alive and I, I just had to, I had to work through that. So, um, so thank you for letting me share my story. Um, and I guess the best way to really just kind of talk about it is to dive in. Um, I lost my mom to cancer on December 13th, 2019. And um, it was very difficult. Um, it was a shock to all of us, all of our family, her friends, her colleagues, um, to really dive into the story. She was diagnosed with leukemia uh, Memorial Day weekend of 2019. So her diagnosis was six months um, before she passed away. And um, I'll never forget the day that we found out. Um, I was actually, I just moved to Atlanta. Um, I had moved in February. So um, I'd only been here just a couple of months. I had been living with my mom. And so I decided, you know, I wanted to move to Atlanta and be here. Um, and if I had known, you know, I think about if I had known just in a few months that my mom would be sick, I would have never left. Um, so that's that's the hard part about it as well. But um, she called me. She had been sick for about a week 
um, a lot of people will say, well, how, how did you guys find out? How did she know? Um, you know, what were symptoms or, you know, just anything. And she, um, she wasn't feeling well. She stopped eating. She was running a fever. Um, she lost a lot of like energy and, um, she was just really sick. And for us, we just thought it was just another either common cold or pneumonia or bronchitis, just, you know, just something that she's had before that anybody, you know, can be sick with. Um, but she was also vomiting too. So it just, we just thought that, you know, you know, something was wrong. And so she went to the doctor and then went, ended up in the ER. Um, they ran blood work, I guess, very common to do when you can't really figure out what's going on with somebody. And, um, Again, I was not with her. She did have a friend that was with her. So I am so thankful for her friend that was able to be with her because I can't imagine being alone and hearing the news that she did. But um, after the blood work was done, they called an oncologist in and he said, you have cancer, you have leukemia. And there was no bedside manners to it. It was just so straightforward. And um, he was like, he had told her, you need to start treatment right away. Like you, you need it right away. We don't know what specific type of leukemia you have when we, um, you know, can do more testing um, later to find out, um, but you need to start treatment right away. You're very sick, you're very ill. And um, her numbers were so off the charts, her white blood counts, everything. He said that she was so sick, and her numbers were so off the charts that she, he was surprised that she was even standing and walking. Like she should have come in on, in a wheelchair or on a stretcher. Um, but that just shows the strength that my mother had. Um, and so if anybody knew my mom, she always said, if I ever have died, or if I, if I'm ever diagnosed with cancer, um, I don't want chemo. I don't want to go through treatments. And so when it came down to it and he was like, you need it, you need it starting now, you know, you, you, you have to go. Um, she was said, no, I'm taking a couple of days to think about this. I need to get my daughter home. I need to talk to my family and um, I need to talk to my work. If I'm going to go, I need to, you know, make some arrangements. And so he said, you have to come back to me um, in a few days and you know, let me know. Um, and so I came home and we talked about things and um, she reluctantly decided that she would start treatment just to try it. Um, not knowing what we were getting into, we had no idea. So we drove to Gainesville, which is about two hours from Tallahassee. It's a very big cancer center down there. And um, her we come to find out that the type of leukemia she had was, and I'll probably say it wrong, um, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And she was um, Philadelphia chromosome positive, which is a whole other level to the ALL leukemia that she had. So you could be negative or positive with the uh, Philadelphia chromosome. Um, so being positive just made it 10 times worse. Um, but so her course of treatment was to last about a year and a half, two years. And um, 
it wasn't the type of chemo where you would just go in and sit for a few hours, get your chemo treatment, and then you can go home. It was very extensive. She was to stay at the cancer center for weeks, months at a time, go home, come back, go home, come back. It was, you know, it would be very strenuous. So her treatment started out with three weeks of chemo. Um, and she did phenomenal, actually. Um, she came home, you know, her, her numbers had bottomed out. So she, um, the whole process is just kind of, I don't quite understand it all as far as the chemo and then her levels coming down and then she brings her levels back up and then she starts chemo again. But so she, um, she went through that process. She was fine after the three weeks, went back had treatment again for another week or week and a half. And she got very sick, very ill. Um, and she ended up being hospitalized. She was full of infections. Um, she had a brain bleed from the chemo and um, it just took a toll on her, honestly. Um, it, she was in the ICU for a couple of days. Um, they moved her to back to the cancer center and they basically started working to um, just rebuild her strength. Um, she lost 50 pounds. Um, she hadn't eaten in weeks. And um, so she, they had to rebuild her strength. And when she left it, she was in the cancer center for um, about another three or four weeks. And um, she, when she left and I brought her home, um, she was learning to walk again. She had just started eating. Um, she had, wasn't getting any treatment. So this is all strictly trying to bring her levels back up, bring her strength back up to start the, the treatment again, because she had bottomed out. She more or less went back steps in her process. So she was gonna have to not necessarily start over, but she wasn't on track with where she was when she started. And so it took about a month for her to gain her strength back. Um, she learned to walk again. Um, she started eating, she started feeling better about herself and more positive. Um, so this was about the end of August. And so she was still seeing her oncologist and he was ready to send her back to Gainesville to start treatment again. And um, she said, no, I'm not gonna do it. I almost lost my life um, and it almost, it almost killed me. And I, I don't wanna do this. Um, part of her treatment as well is that she would need um, a bone marrow transplant. So on top of the chemo, the bone marrow transplant, I, if I remember correctly, it was about a 30 to 40% chance that um, it would cure and that she would survive. Um, so she just, she didn't want to put herself through that anymore. She just wanted to have a quality of life, however long that was going to be. Um, so that was the end of August and September, we, um, had already had a, a trip planned, um, prior to her diagnosis, but we went on a seven day cruise to Alaska. And that was one of her dreams to, you know, she wanted to go to Alaska and, um, and go on a cruise there. So um, that was what she was working towards that entire month was to build up the strength to um, to feel better and to to be able to you know go on the trip. And 
So September, we went on the cruise and, you know, October, we just, we lived life together for those few months. Um, she lived life. Um, she did, you know, things with her friends, you know, whenever I was home and not working, um, you know, we did so many things together and just shared so much, so much time and quality time together. Um, I hated to leave when I'd have to go to work. Um, I actually, um, when she did get sick um, back in August, I moved back home. So I no longer was living in Atlanta. So I, um, I moved everything back um, and moved back in with her to care for her. And she was so mad at me because um, she knew I had just moved and started my life. And um, it just made sense. It didn't make sense to spend my, my free time living in Atlanta um, when I could be at home with her and spending time with her. And so um, that's what we did for those couple of months. We just, we just shared life together, whether it was just sitting on the couch and having a glass of wine and watching a movie or, you know, traveling together. So um, November, we, um, we did the light the night walk for leukemia um, and lymphoma society. Um, that was a big thing for her that she wanted to have the strength to um, go out to the event. And it was about a two mile walk that we, um, I put it together a team and um, her friends um, all signed up, we donated, we raised money and um, we just shared her story. And um, she walked the entire time. Everybody was just so proud of her. I mean, given the fact of, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't well, you know, there were days during those few months where she did have bad days. Um, we would go to the oncologist, her oncologist appointments. I believe it was every two or three weeks just to kind of check on her levels to see where we were at because the cancer wasn't gone. Um, you know, she'd only had just a little bit of treatment. Um, it was more or less, I guess, laying at bay. Um, we, and so it was going to surface at some point again. We just didn't know when. And um, so she'd have good and bad days. Um, you know, she'd be sick, very sick, very vomiting, um, weak, you know, sleeping a lot, that sort of thing. Um, but so we just made the best of it. And the walk was just before Thanksgiving. So about a week between that and Thanksgiving um, was, she was at a doctor's appointment. I wasn't able to go with her. It was the, honestly, it was the one and only appointment that I did not go with her to. I was there for every single appointment, but I couldn't get to this one I was working. Um, and so she just went in for a regular, you know, blood work. And um, he said, it, it doesn't look good. You know, your numbers are starting to elevate. And I suggest that you get your daughter back home. Um, and so I came home right away. And um, we had Thanksgiving together. And everything after that happened so fast. I mean, if I, you know, even with the doctor saying, you know, the number, her numbers are high, her cancer is back. I still felt like a sense of hope 
in me still like that this isn't this isn't it you know like this you know her numbers may be high but we still we still have time you know like that doesn't mean anything like i don't i don't know what that is and why i don't know if it's denial or not accepting it or just that i had to be that strong i had to be positive in some sort of way um but things happened very quickly and um mom wanted to get a christmas tree um the week after thanksgiving and she was too sick to go so i i went out and i i got a, a tree just threw it up in the living room with some lights and some decorations and that that weekend um she she wasn't she wasn't doing well and i was very scared and um i had we had hospice coming in and that was checking on her as well um and it was the weekend so it was difficult to get in touch with somebody so i spent a lot of the time that weekend not knowing what to do or what to expect because she was running a fever she was sleeping she was vomiting she wasn't she just wasn't doing well and i i wanted to give her the best care that i could um but i was losing that communication with her she was not talking and not forming sentences anymore and so i i was at a loss for what to do um i think that was the hard part as well was um i'd always ask her what can i do mom you know like what hurts where does where does it ache do you need me to rub your back or you know just anything just to give that sort of little bit of comfort and she just she wasn't able to talk and that was just very very difficult um to try to figure out you know what to do and so um hospice came and they said that you know we'll just keep coming out every day and checking on her and um in the meantime you know you need to start giving her morphine and it was like i couldn't i couldn't do that i didn't want to do that um i mean if you know if mom wanted to do that when she wasn't well then she she could you know she had that ability that option but for me to do that i just i had a hard time with that i i giving her medicine to knock her out it just wasn't it's not my thing and so i had such a hard time with that and i had to have the nurse help me um cuz i couldn't do it um but we had christmas um that monday night actually um my nieces and my brother and sister-in-law um had come over and we um mom laid in her bed and she could see the christmas tree from her bedroom into the dining or to the living room and my nieces they did their christmas and loved on my mom and like drew her pictures and colored and um mom came out into the living room and sat for a little bit um but then she went back and laid back down because she just didn't have the strength to sit up and um but i think that meant a lot to her and what i didn't realize at the time was that that was her last night at home and how special it was um i didn't realize that until last month when i was you know thinking about that day and that christmas day that we had um that that was her last moments in her home and it was 
with her family and Christmas and it was her favorite holiday and her and her grandchildren and it was just a really special moment and the next day hospice came back out to visit and they said that they had a bed at their facility that they could transport her to for more comfort for her um, and easier for me because I've been the caretaker um, for so long and having to make all of those decisions that now I could just be her daughter and just love on her. And I, I didn't have to worry about all of the details and the specifics and medicine and, and doing all of those things that somebody else could come in and do those things for me. And I can just, like I said, be her daughter. So um, those last days at hospice um, were so overwhelming. Um, there were so many people that came by. It was just a revolving door of friends, my mom's friends and colleagues that just came by to pay their respects and pray and spend their last moments with her. Um, I, I felt very overwhelmed um, in a good way by the love. Um, and in the evenings was just very quiet. I stayed, I slept there, slept by her side. Um, and the last night that we had, um, it, it was quiet and I woke up in the middle of the night and um, the doctor, or I'm sorry, the nurse had said that she wasn't well and that it was, things were changing. And um, she was running a fever, I think of like 103. Her heart was racing. She was breathing differently. Um, and I just sat and talked with her. Um, my mom's boyfriend was in the room as well. Um, and he woke up and we kind of just spent some time just talking to her, trying to calm her down because she was just very, um, I guess, agitated in a sense. And so we calmed her down and he went back to sleep actually. And I stayed awake and I stayed by her side and held her hand. And I texted one of her friends um, and said, mom's not well. And, um, you know, things are changing. And her friend told me that she needs to hear that you're gonna be okay. And that was the hardest thing for me to do was tell her that I was going to be okay. And I told her that I loved her, that I was proud of her, um, that I would do everything I could to just honor her and that I would miss her terribly. And, but I was somehow gonna be okay. And within, just a few moments, she took her last few breaths. Like, I don't, I don't know how to say anything was more peaceful than the moment that we shared together. And um, I truly felt her energy and her spirit pass through me. Like I, 
I truly believe that it was her when she took her last breath. I felt every sensation and every piece of energy of her. Um, and it was a very special moment um, that I'm so grateful for because I truly honestly thought that my mom wanted to protect me and wanted to pass on her own, like that she didn't want me to see um, her take her last breath. But I think that she wanted it to be a special moment for the both of us, um, that she didn't want it any other way. And so that morning when we left hospice for the last time, um, after I made all the arrangements, um, I was walking out to my car with my sister-in-law because um, she had come later. And um, there was a cardinal sitting in the tree above my car. And for me and my mom, cardinals are so special and such a spiritual connection because her parents, my grandparents passed away um, well, it'll be five years this year. Um, they passed within five months of each other. And that was just a tough year for the both of us, especially my mom. And so we, me and my mom, we came to find a connection with them through Cardinals. And so to see a Cardinal outside above my car when I left, like I knew it was her. And I'd been coming and going for a few days at hospice, I never saw a cardinal, never saw anything, no other birds in the trees or anything. And when I left, it was her, like I know that it was her. Um, and so it, that was just special for me. So to know that she sent me that cardinal to let me know that it's okay and that she's okay as well. Um, so yeah. Um, <laughs> To go from there, um, now I'm starting at that point, you know, starting a grief journey, you know. Um, I spent the first couple of months um, just in shock. Um, I had a hard time just really understanding that the physical being of my mom was no longer there. I would still stayed in her place, in her house. Um, she was renting a place. And so she had five months left on her um, rent. Um, and so I stayed there for those five months and it was very difficult being in her home without her. But I honestly wouldn't have wanted it any other way um, because I was in it. I was truly in my grief while I was there. Um, and I had to clean out her house. You know, that's another tough, challenging thing that you have to go through after your loved one passes away. You have to go through all of their things, um, especially if you didn't have time before, you know, um, we didn't have much time. And so um, it was hard to go through her stuff. And then, um, it was definitely hard because the original plan was to have um, family and friends come over and help me um, so I wouldn't be alone. But then the COVID pandemic happened and we had to be quarantined and nobody was doing anything. Nobody could see each other. You couldn't see 
people that um, you would normally see, nobody was going to work. Um, you would just see who was in your household and I didn't have anybody. And then especially if I was traveling, everybody was so fearful of me in general. Um, <laughs> so I didn't see anybody um, for a very long time, for a couple of months. Um, I didn't see my family or her friends. Um, and so I had to finish going, I went through all of her stuff by myself. Um, and it, it was hard. It was hard trying to let go of her things, trying to decide what to keep, what, you know, what my brother would want to keep. Um, and I couldn't keep everything. That was a hard thing. You know, she had a lot of great collection pieces from my great grandparents, which is her grandparents, um, old furniture, antiques, vintage pieces. And it was hard to let go. I, but I had to, um, I started grief counseling as well, um, during those couple of months and I, that I still continue to do now. Um, and my grief counselor suggested that I start writing and start journaling. And that is not anything that I had ever done before. I'm not a writer or a journalist or somebody that keeps a journal. I'm a very analytical um, math number person. And so it made sense though, because I had so much emotions and so many feelings and I was so isolated by myself um, at home to just start writing. And um, so I did. I started journaling. Um, I started writing letters to my mom or just anything that was on my mind. And I started to feel very overwhelmed with the thoughts that I had. I, I was just kind of all over the place and it was very hard to keep up with writing um, from like pen to paper. It was just, I, my thoughts were too fast. So I started typing, um, you know, on the computer or on my phone. Um, and then I started, I come up with the idea of a, a blog, you know, maybe to share my story, share what I was going through with my mom's friends. If they, you know, they are a big part of my life now. Um, and they always reach out and, you know, check on me. And so I thought that they might enjoy reading, you know, what I'm going through my, my journey. And also for anybody that may need help, um, you know, that might find inspiration from it. So that's sort of how I came to starting my blog. Um, and then I created my Instagram account to kind of connect everything together. Um, and then found a whole world of um, grievers, the grief community on Instagram that's remarkable. And um, truly I don't even actually look at any of my personal accounts. Um, I just look at my my grief account more than anything because that's that's what I am. That's who I am now, and that's what helps me get through my days, especially when they're very lonely. Um, because I'm not married, I don't have a boyfriend. Um, I don't have children. It's just me. And for the longest time, it was just me and my mom and she was my whole world and my sole purpose in life and I just surrounded myself with her because I she was my best friend and she 
we did everything together. We shared the same joy and life and together. And um, it was just very hard to lose her. Um, I have this whole, this emptiness in me and in my life, my daily life um, that I don't, I won't fill. I'm not going to fill. I'm just trying to figure out how to shift and pivot and create, you know, different ways of living now without her, um, which is why I've, you know, started the journaling, started the writing. And so it's just, it's been hard. It's been very hard without her. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at right now in wow. my journey. <laughs> wow. Um, but you've done something else that I want you to tell people about too, your your project that you've started. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, um, so part of um, honoring my mom, I've started this, um, I guess someone told me, they're like, oh, it's a grief project that you have. That's great. Um, grief project that I called, um, that I call Cards for Their Memory. Um, it came as an idea um, to me in a dream. I dreamt it. Um, and it, I like to think that it was my mom's voice. It was just a voice. I knew that I wanted to help others. I was so used to helping and caring for my mom and doing so much for her that I felt this void. I didn't, I, I didn't have anything to do now. Um, you know, I was used to taking care of her and doing things for her and, um, like I said, she was my purpose and now I need an, a new purpose. Um, mm -hmm. And so I had this dream. And like I said, I like to think it was my mom's voice telling me to write cards to people that are grieving the loss of their loved one and, you know, and send it on the anniversary date. Um, I was, this dream came to me about a month or two before my mom's anniversary. I was feeling a lot of anxiety about that that day coming up and that people wouldn't remember that maybe they would forget her or forget um, that that was the day that she had passed away. And um, yeah, the dream was telling me to help help others, you know, like that, 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 that I'm not the only one that's feeling that way. You know, if I'm feeling everybody else is feeling, um, whether it's been a year or five years or 10 years, that day still matters that day is still important to the person that lost that loved one. And it, that day is important because the, that's, that was their person, whoever it may be, um, and just wanting to honor them. Um, and so, yeah, um, came up with the idea from the dream and my anxiety of my mom's anniversary. And it just kind of flourished and took off and blossomed. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback. So the idea is to continue to send the cards every year. So it's not that you just got it this year or that you got it on the first year of the anniversary. It's a card that comes every year from me um, to always remember that that person was important to you and to acknowledge your grief. Because like I said, it doesn't matter how many years it's been, you're still grieving. You're still, that day is still important to you, so. Yeah. So tell me how many people you said that you've, you're reaching out to worldwide. Um, I have, last time I checked, I had about 600 people signed up. 
Um, and I just That's started, amazing. I launched it in Feb or sorry, not February, um, in November. Yeah. So it's just, it's just been a few months that I've been doing it. Okay. So do you want me to put your handle and things on the show notes? Because, you know, you might, you might get some more participants, but, um, you know, my, my, I lost my sister last year and just last week was the one year anniversary. And I got a beautiful card from Lauren and it is just, there's something about sharing this journey with fellow grievers that, um, makes you feel not, not quite so alone. Um, I mean, like you said, you have a mom size hole and nothing will ever replace that, but, um, sharing the journey with people who get it. I feel makes a big difference. Um, so, so I mean, at the end, we'll do your your handle and everything, and I'll put it in the show notes so that people can figure out how to find you. Um, but what a what a way to honor her and her memory. Yes. Um, is leukemia blood cancer? Yes. Okay. All right. Just to make sure, that's yeah. what I thought. And are you doing? Are there? I've seen something about a scholarship in her name. Are there other things that? Yeah. So um, my mom, um, she was a former um, school teacher. She um, taught children with autism, and she um, actually became a program specialist for autism for the state of Florida um, for Department of Education. So that was the position that she was in um, when she passed away. It was um, so she worked. Um, for Department of Education as a program specialist for autism. And she also worked with other um, autism programs throughout the state of Florida. So um, anybody that is from Florida um, that may know, there's a program called CARD. It is um, the Center for Autism and Related Disabilities. And my mom, there's seven, I believe, locations throughout the state of Florida. Um, they're all within the universities. So being in Tallahassee, we have Florida State. So mom, my mom, she worked with all the universities, but she was very close with Florida State. And um, we, they actually hosted her celebration of life. Um, the women there are amazing. And all, everybody who my mom worked with was amazing or is amazing and they, they hosted her celebration of life and I knew I didn't want flowers. Um, just an overabundance of flowers just wasn't something that I needed. That I would rather, the intentions were to have any in lieu of funds or in lieu of flowers, donate funds for, um, to CARD. Um, and it started that way. And then we um, decided to create the Memorial Award for her. So it's the Diana McClendon, um, forget the whole title, um, teach, or Teacher Excellence in Teaching Memorial Award, I believe is what it's called. Um, and we um, launched it last year and they just had their conference um, this month and they announced two winners. Um, so we have um, a scholarship or um, an award going to two teachers through the state of Florida every year, one for a rookie teacher and one for a veteran teacher. And they have to be teaching children with autism and a lot of other criteria that they have to meet. But that's the idea behind it is that, that they have um, students in their classroom that um, are autistic and um, you know, the award they can use towards their classroom to better educate, you know, their children have sensory objects, you know, whatever it is that they can um, build in their classroom for um, a better education for their children. That's awesome. 
And I love that it that there's two awards, one for a rookie and one for a veteran, because they both both um, are equally as important. Um, so, and I think sometimes the rookies get overlooked. So I think that that's awesome. I think that that's awesome. What a way to motivate them. Yeah. Um, so I did have a couple notes that I took from when you were sharing, if you're okay with me asking a few things. Um, you had said that she had started to lose her ability to communicate maybe in November. Mm-hmm. At, towards the end, did she regain that or did she never regain, never no. regain no. her ability to? It, it just, it slowly started. Um, and these are, I guess, all signs of end of life that either I, I knew and I just, didn't want to know or just pay attention to, or it's just, like I said, in denial, I'm not sure, but um, she just kind of, she would space out and not be able to focus on things. She wasn't forming sentences. She would just, she would tell me, hi, and I love you, Mm -hmm. but she couldn't communicate like we are talking, like talking in in sentences and, and paragraphs and long talking like this. Um, so that just started to, um, diminish over time. Um, and just a lot of other things that she's, um, she lost like mobility, like grip in her hands. Like she was dropping things. She was falling a lot. So she was just becoming very weak. Um, yeah, these were just all things that were end of life. Um, she would, just kind of look off in the distance and um, just be very fixated on things and uh, as if she wasn't even present any longer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things that I've, I've um, said is that it's, it'd be one thing if, if a cancer patient just had to deal with their cancer, but then you said like there's a stem cell transplant and then there's this and there's that and it's a month long stay. And um, I remember my sister's first chemo it was called cisplatin and it was so harsh that um, you would lose your fingernails and obviously your hair and stuff. So she would sit there with her hands in buckets of ice and her feet in buckets of ice while she was receiving this treatment. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, can we just, you know, it, it just is uh it's it's overwhelming. All of the, you know, when if people haven't been through a cancer journey, all the extra stuff that comes with it is just overwhelming. Um, And like you said, you were caring for her by yourself. um, And that's such a huge task. And there's, it's like a role reversal, you know, you're, now you're the mom and she's the daughter and you're, you know, trying to care for her. And, um, you know, and that's not the way it's supposed to be, but that's what happens when you're thrown into a situation like that. so I'm glad that you were able to, you know, get some relief with being in the hospice facility so that, like you said, you could go back to being her daughter yeah. um, and take some of those. That's an, that's an overwhelming amount of responsibility, medications and yes. fevers. And that's, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it was truly an honor to take care of her. Like I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. Um, I wanted to be there for her. Even I honestly didn't even want to work, but she told me I had to go to work. She didn't want me to sit there um, and not work and, um, you know, sit with her. And she actually did go back to work part-time those last few months um, because she loved her job so much. She loved 
being in the office. She loved all of the ladies that she worked with. She hated to be away from them. Um, and so, but it was, it was an honor to take care of her. And um, the medication, like you said, everything was just very overwhelming to, um, to process and take care of. Um, I, some of the stuff I didn't even understand. I didn't understand like what was going on or what I had to stop. I had to do a lot of research. I had to educate myself and figure it out. Um, the medications, um, the appointments, um, you know, and then aside from all of that, you know, just the, the physical parts of watching her be so sick, um, watch her lose her hair and take her to get her hair shaved off because it was just at that point where, you know, you just, it's falling out that you have to just go ahead and just shave it all off. And I mean, that's emotionally hard for her and for me. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to take in um, just as a caretaker and as her daughter. It really is. And um, like you said, you're never ready. Um, you know, my sister battled cancer for nine and a half years and my niece and I have talked about that a lot, you know? I mean, you know, when somebody's diagnosed with stage four cancer and then she ended up having the BRCA gene, like that that's going to be a lifelong journey that's, you know, um, not going to end well. Um, but I just don't think that you're ever ready. I think as part of that defense mechanism that you were talking about, like with your first couple months after your mom was gone that you really couldn't, acknowledge it fully in your brain. And I, I think that our brain is designed to do that as protection, as self-defense, because if we were able to really fully grasp the depth of that loss, I think it would be it would be more debilitating than it already is. Um, so that's what, you know, there's there's lots of conversations in, in the research and things that I've done about, you know, the difference between a sudden loss and, and one that you can prepare for. And, you know, not that one, I don't think that one is better than the other at all. Um, but those are, you know, some of the things that come along with uh, part of the journey. Um, and then the other thing, I, I love that you guys uh, did that walk together in November. We were supposed to do a bike ride last year that of course was canceled. And we just got an email yesterday that even this year's date has been pushed back to September. Um, but um, those memories that you and your mom were able to create together, like how that's, that's, that's really awesome. So you mentioned her strength in the very beginning and everything that you've told me since then has just totally supported that vision that I have of your mom, of a really strong lady who even um, faced with a diagnosis like that and, and delivered in the way that it is. I'm always amazed at that. I'm always amazed at that. Like, okay, sometimes we know that the doctor with the best skills doesn't have the right bedside manner. Well, then can we find somebody else on the team that does? Yeah. They told my sister of the phone. Oh my god. She goodness. called me and I would I talk about denial where I was walking around the park on the phone with her. I'm like, that can't be right. They can't possibly tell you that over the phone. Like they must be wrong. They must be wrong. Mm -hmm. Can we find somebody on the team that has a little bit of empathy Passion, to yeah. deliver the news, you know? Yeah. Um, but the fact that she um had such a strong will to live a quality of life to be able to say no, like to those treatments, because I, I can't imagine in her head the battle of could it possibly help, but could I possibly stay as sick as it made me after that, you know, second treatment? 
Um, what a what a strong strong mind. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we'd still be in treatment right now. I mean, we would as at this point, and who knows with COVID, like where we would be or how it would turn out, or you know, would I be able to visit my mom? I, more than likely, no. no. Um, because when she was going through her treatments and I was off, I was sleeping in the hospital with her. Like I was there on my days off. I fly home and drive down to Gainesville and stay in the hospital with her for days. So mm -hmm. I can't imagine not being able to be by her side during her treatment. And I can't imagine everybody that has gone through what they've gone through this last year with COVID and not being able to be with their loved one. Like, I just, I can't imagine that. So we have we've talked about that a lot. My sister was in intensive care for 17 days and was never without a family member, 24 hours a day for 17 days. And we were like, can you imagine if they tried to tell us we couldn't be there? Yeah. That's heartbreaking, just heartbreaking. So if anybody's listening to this podcast and you are dealing with that, please know that I personally think about you all the time and pray for anybody who's in treatment or hospitalized and has to be alone and then the family that's not allowed to be with them like wow that's just that's 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 difficult yes absolutely. i'm gonna not say anything else because it's gonna turn into one of those things that people say that <laughs> doesn't come across the way it's supposed to it's just really difficult and um, i'm keeping you in my prayers because that's that's hard um but I've often said about my sister, um, you know, after battling for nine and a half years, that if if a will to live could sustain a body, she'd still be here. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds like your mom was that was that same way. Um, but cancer just ravages a body and devastates a body. And and as you said, some of those signs that you were seeing at the end were, you know, now in hindsight you can look back on it and and see that you know her body was probably shutting down. Um, but what a, what a strong woman, what a, what a legacy that you have to carry yeah. forth with your torch, um, in her honor and in her legacy. Yeah. Even in her lowest and weakest moments, she just showed an incredible strength and, um, I don't know how she did it. I, I think about it often, how, how that must have felt. How, how sick and weak she was, how she truly was, but she still was so strong, so strong-minded, so, so yeah, carried a lot of strength in her. Wow. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's a lot of days when I, um, you know, it, it gives me the, it gives me the motivation to continue with this, with this journey that we're doing together with Daughters Without Moms. Um, and, um, just trying to provide a safe place, you know, for this kind of interaction, um, because we need to share their stories, we need to keep their memories alive. And from your mom, Diana, and my sister, Amy, and, and my mom, too. But, um, you know, we've got to keep marching on um, using strength that they gave us in their own journeys. So um, God bless you. God bless you, what you've done with it. Um, remarkable, just remarkable. How quickly you've been able to uh, use your pain for a project that's, you know, provided um, relief to so many people, uh, you know, empathy and care that you've reached out to 600 people that you don't even know, mm -hmm. um, but that also provided you with a sense of purpose and 
you know, being able to, and you handwrite these cards. Yes. You handwrite them. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> oh. It is wow. quite, I have thought about it as far as being a very quick process because somebody else had said that to me. Um, but like I said, I, I, I needed a purpose. I needed, I needed something new and something to not only it was, it's helping me and my journey, but I want to help others. And that's just in my nature to help and care. And because I lost that with my mom, I needed to channel it into something else. And that this was an opportunity that just came up. And um, I just hope that I can reach out to many more people than mm -hmm. the ones that have signed up. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, do you have anything else before we wrap up with? I, wanna... I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I've like shared and talked for so long and I'm sure I've forgotten little details and pieces of the story. Um, but I think for the most part, I you know touched on quite a bit and encompass my story and my mom's story. Mm -hmm. Well, and I've already started to come up with ideas on on these podcasts and I'm going to do follow-ups. So oh, we may, yeah, I think, I think, you know, because the grief journey continues and it evolves and it changes and never yeah. goes away. But um, so I've already talked to a few of the people that I've done before about doing a follow-up. So, um, so I do want to ask if you have a, a tidbit of information, something you've learned along the way or um, something to share with the other fellow grievers out there. Um, yeah, that's hard. Um, it's hard to give a tip to another griever um, just because um, what works for me doesn't necessarily work for everybody else. Every, you know, everyone's on this grief journey. We're all grieving because we've lost somebody that we love, but the grief journey is unique to each person. Um, I guess what I can say is that your grief matters. It truly matters because you cared and because you loved somebody so deeply. Um, so just be gentle and kind to yourself. Um, allow yourself to feel what you're going through and just know that, you know, the only way through grief is just to grieve and just be in the moments the best that you can. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I've said several times that I, I, I believe that the depth of your grief affects the height of your joy that you're able to feel. So when we numb that, that the depth of the grief, we also numb the other end of the spectrum. So I think that that's, that that's great advice. Um, so I will put Lauren's information in the show notes. Grief at 30K Feet is her Instagram handle. Cards for Their Memory is the project that she's doing. Um, she also has the, the scholarship fund in honor of her mom um, and many other things going on. So follow her, um, give her a shout out, sign up for the cards if you like. Also, if you're a creator of cards that you're listening to this podcast and you feel led to donate some cards to Lauren and her effort, send her a direct message and she will get back to you on that. Um, but Lauren, you thanked me in the beginning for giving you the opportunity to do this. Um, I feel like it's a privilege to be able to sit here and, and hear people's stories. Um, so, um, Thank you for sharing um, and uh, for being so honest and vulnerable. Thank you, Ben. It was a pleasure. Mm -hmm. 
If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.